All right. Morning, everybody. <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Sean Salata. Uh, I'm on staff with the church. Um, if I haven't met you before, um, I'd love to, to take a minute and meet you guys after the service is over. But um, it, it's good to be with you. I'm hoping that you guys had a good Thanksgiving this weekend. Um, for, for us, personally, uh, we actually stayed home for the first time ever, um, and we spent our Thanksgiving with the Williamses, and that was a, a lot of fun. Uh, it was kind of a new, uh, new sort of experience for us, you know, a season of life that we're in. We're kind of transitioning from, like, um, y- you know, being older than college students but living like college students to actually having some of the trappings of, like, quote-unquote adult life. So, like, you know, cooking your own food um, and living in, like, a what they call a house, you know, stuff, stuff like this. So we're, we're still feeling it out, and, and um, you know, Matthew and Lana are a little bit ahead of us in that regard. So we went to their house and, and hung out with them for Thanksgiving. But um, it was actually the first time that they had made a turkey. And so um, their friend Andrew, our friend Andrew, um, helped them figure out how to brine a turkey, which if you don't know what that means, um, it means that you dunk it in salt and a bunch of other stuff. And through um, this sort of magical process that science has yet to sort of unpack, it turns turns a normal turkey into a delicious turkey. So I don't really know anything about that, and the reason I don't know anything about that is because I mentioned that like we did it, but I did conspicuously little in that process except for sort of sit and watch as it all happened. So for me, it was pretty similar to like any other Thanksgiving. It was pretty normal. Um, but it was interesting because there were a lot of situations where they were like, oh, man, I don't know how to do this. Like, mom always did this part, you know, or I've never done this before. Like, this is the thing that dad always did. And so naturally, you know, a bunch of um, young millennials, that meant that there was a lot of Googling involved, you know, sort of like how to brine turkey, how to cook turkey, how to carve turkey. This is especially true for carving the turkey, right? And uh, it was really funny because Matthew insisted um, that Jesse, his sister and, and my wife, um, he insisted that, that she be involved in carving the turkey, even though neither of them had done it before ever. Um, and there was one person in the room who actually had carved a turkey before, but no, 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 this is the way that it needs to be. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of like looking at the phone. And it's like, okay, next it says you need to do this. You know, and he's like swiping through with like his grease-covered finger and, you know, got their hands in the turkey. And, you know, so like several knives and swipes and, and so on later, we actually get the turkey carved. Um, you know, and, and someone pipes up. I don't remember who it was. It's like, man, you know, we didn't even need our dad to do this. And Andrew drops the punchline. He says, the internet is our dad now. Because, you know, up to this point, well, it's joke's not funny if you need to explain it. So, <laughs> um, but it was a good time. And, you know, Dad, if you're watching this via stream, uh, that was a joke. The internet is not our dad. I love you very much. And, it, and it's kind of funny, by the way, that, you know, we can, we can go to the internet and kind of figure out, like, how to do stuff. But when it comes to that, like, mission accomplished, you know that you got to take a picture and send it to your dad. So it's just, a, it's just a thought. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about this morning. This morning, we are closing out the book of Colossians. So we've spent the last several weeks talking about just sort of the, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is the greatest one 
one, and he is all that we need. You know, the Colossian church was kind of wrestling with this idea um, that other people were bringing, saying, hey, if you wanna be really mature in your faith, you need to add some stuff. Jesus is a good start, but you need maybe some other gods or some other like angels that you can worship or kind of pay homage to. Um, you need some more rules that you need to do. Um, you need to have some more traditions. You need some more stuff if you wanna be really mature and if you wanna really get in with where the, the real Christians are at. And Paul says, no, that's not the way that it is. Jesus is the greatest one and Jesus plus nothing at all is greatness. Um, so, you know, we've talked uh, these few weeks about the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Everything is made by him and for him and through him. It's all for him. Not only that, so like because of that truth, it actually changes the way that we live. Um, it's not just a truth to say like, oh man, look at that, that's really cool. Um, but it changes the way that we live. We live in a way that is pure, uh, you know, we're transformed. We live in a way that is um, gentle, a way that is different than the way that we lived before and looks really different um, than the way a lot of the people around us are living. And that happens when we grab that truth that Jesus is the greatest one. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the, the mission that that sort of brings us in on. You know, as we recognize who Jesus is, that changes the way that we live, that involves us in a mission as Christians. Um, but as Paul winds down the letter, he actually comes back to this idea of mission. And he sort of gives these like closing ingredients, if you will, these things that the mission is made up of. And that's kind of what we're gonna be talking about this morning. That's what our, our big idea is gonna be around. It's the fact that the mission takes preparation, people, and a price. So again, the big idea is that the Christian mission takes preparation, people, and a price. And so we're gonna get this, this idea of the mission, and, and it's, it's alive, it's vibrant. You know, Paul talks about the way that it's happening far off away from the Colossian church, but it's also supposed to be happening like in their backyard because he gives them pointers for how to do it. Um, you know, it, it's hard and somber at times from what we're gonna read, but it's also really awesome because like it's clear that God is moving. So uh, let's jump in. We're going to jump into Colossians chapter 4. Uh, it's going to be verses 2 through 18, and we'll see a little bit of what this mission looks like. So he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So there's a lot there. I'm gonna use all the tricks that I know to kind of keep us, keep us in and um, we'll keep cruising, so buckle up. The first aspect that we're gonna see of our mission is that it requires preparation. So the, the mission requires preparation. Specifically, we're gonna talk about prayer and how to share. So preparation, specifically prayer and how to share. So, so Paul jumps right in. He says, continue in prayer and, and pray specifically for us who are out here spreading the gospel. But I want us to notice the words that Paul uses to talk about prayer. He, he describes it kind of interestingly. He uses steadfastly, watchful. Even later on in the verse, he references a guy named Epaphras who is struggling in his prayers. So I have a, I have a question. Does anybody else here struggle with prayer? More specifically, you know, does anyone else struggle with prayer and then like kind of wonder why? Because, you know, it's supposed to, it's supposed to comfort us. It's supposed to connect us to God. And like, honestly, we, we think it's, it's like kind of supposed to be easy, right? Prayer's supposed to be easy. And so then when we can't do it, we're like, well, why can't I do this? It's supposed to be easy. And a lot of times we talk about prayer in terms of its peace and its freedom. And that's true. Like, that's good. We should talk about it that way right? One of the exciting things about being a Christian is that we have access to God that we didn't have before. The Bible talks about the great lengths that people used to have to go to in order to be in community with God, um, you know, because of the ways that we had wronged him. There was a disconnect between us and God, and so it used to be very difficult to, to get to him. But Jesus has taken this penalty that we deserved um, for, for those wrongs that we've done to God, and he's actually restored the connection. So before where there was separation, now there's again connection with God, and, and we can connect with him through prayer. And that's like good freeing news. You know, the, that's, that's something to be excited about. Through Jesus, the greatest one, we now have this connection in a way that we didn't before. It's good. But I think what can happen is like as, as we seek that connection, you know, oftentimes like as we go to prayer amongst like the hardships of life, you know, we want God to, to be our refuge, which the Bible says that he is. You know, we can maybe confuse the, the idea that he's a refuge and he's safe with the fact that prayer will always be easy. And I, I don't think that that's the picture that, that Paul is painting here in Colossians. You know, sometimes prayer does come naturally. But like other times, Paul says that it's a struggle. It's, it's something that you have to like be steadfast and ready. You know, there's a reason that we kind of use this phrase of like a prayer warrior, because sometimes when you're praying, you have to go to war in order to do it. It's actually a discipline. You know, it, it takes effort to do. And so the reason I say all that is like not to bum us out or anything, but you, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about your prayer life and when you're trying to pray and it's difficult, don't be discouraged by that because the Bible actually gives the indication that sometimes it will be difficult to pray. 
And so that's, that's Paul's kind of like opening thing. You know, he, he's talking about prayer and he opens it up by saying, hey, pray, pray hard, you know, because sometimes it will be a challenge to do it. So first he says, pray hard. The, the second thing that, that he talks about with prayer is um, this idea of giving thanks. You know, that, that the way that we pray is through thanksgiving. And like, I know we just celebrated Thanksgiving, so this is gonna be kind of a layup, but you know, I figured I'd do it anyway. Um, there's, there's this quote that I found from uh, one of the guys who was there at uh, one of the first Thanksgivings. And, and this is what he says. He says, and although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. So I think he, he was talking to somebody, you know, maybe somebody back home in England who was like really comfortable and didn't have the problems that they did in, you know, the early Americas. And he, he says, you know, it's not always this good. Um, and he was right, because like half of his town had been wiped out by the winter. It, it, it had been a difficult time for them. So he's, he's right when he says like, yeah, it's not always this good, but now it is good. God is good and he's provided. And even if it's not much, it's so good to us that we wish we could share this goodness with everyone. It's like, man, that's legit. Even though, even though the, the, people in, the people in England didn't need what the people in America had, it was so good to them. They were so blessed by what they had that they were thankful to God for it and they wished that they could give it to everyone. And Paul tells us that this kind of thankfulness is a key part of this like steadfast, watchful, struggling prayer that, that we do. And so we give, we give thanks. That's, that's one component of our prayer. But it's not just being thankful for what we already have. It's also pressing in and asking God for more, which is like kind of, kind of audacious when you, when you think about it. It's kind of like He's the God of the universe, and like we're gonna ask for more. We already have so much from him, and yet that's what Paul says. Give thanks for what you have, ask for more. Specifically, he's talking about one thing specifically, like not a Ferrari. He's talking about ask God for opportunities. So here's, here's what he says. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. What? That God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, so, so Paul considers, first off, he considers it a blessing to, to ask for more opportunities to share the gospel. Reminder, Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. It's crazy that this is what has gotten him in prison. If it was me and it had gotten me in prison, I would be thinking twice about doing more of the same thing that got me into prison. And yet, what Paul says is, Ask for more opportunities so that I can be faithful and I can share the gospel clearly. Is this a prayer that like we're praying for ourselves, for opportunities to share the gospel wherever we're at? You know, I think about the fact that, um, you know, like the, the big part of what we do as a, as a church that's on the campus is we are blessed and privileged to send people out. You know, like we really want people to like stay here and, and come on staff and, and stay and plant churches with us. Like we're excited about that. But the reality is that the large majority of the people that, that we'll send out, that will graduate um, from, you know, from college and, and leave H2O will go out to new and different places. And I think back to something that my youth pastor told me when I was in high school. 
you know, he, he said to me, he's like, you know, I got into ministry to share the gospel and teach the gospel with as many people as possible, specifically with like youth kids. But the irony is now that I'm here, like I can't go into the school. Like I want to share Jesus with, with people like you, but I can't go to where you're at. And so guess what? It's your job. You are the one who is best equipped, best prepared to, to go out and share the gospel in that context. And that's true of all of us here. You know, we are the ones that are best equipped to go to the places that we're already at. You know, I can't go to the places that you all are at. And so it's, it's our job. It's the reason, one of the reasons that God has given us the body so that we together can go to all of the different places that need the gospel. And it's a really cool thing that we get to be a part of as a, as a church that's, that's on the campus and is equipping people to go out into the workplace and share wherever they go. So, that, but that, that strategy is contingent. It, it relies on actually taking advantage of those opportunities. You know, if we go out to all our separate places and kind of like keep our, keep our heads down, um, which can be really tempting to do. It's like, man, I just need to get through this week. Like, this is rough. I, I just need to, to get through it so I can go home. I can rest and, and kind of, you know, do it again. Um, the strategy doesn't work, though, if, if we do that. And so I would challenge us and encourage us, you know, be praying for the, for the strength and for the opportunities um, to, to actually make that strategy work, to go out into all the corners of the world and share Jesus with people. So, that kind of transitions us because Paul sort of like moves from talking about prayer to talking about sharing your faith. Um, and, and he gives a couple of pointers to the Colossians as they're there in you know, their backyard sharing with people. So he says, first, walk with wisdom. Pay attention to your environment. You know, look for those situations. Look for those opportunities. You know, how can I share in a way that connects with people, in a way that they understand? You know, be wise. Pay attention. Next, he, he says, um, after, after we pay attention, that we should act with urgency. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I've done this, uh, this trip called Beach Reach uh, uh, for a few years, and, and it's where we basically load up in... Um, vans, we go down to Panama City Beach. While people are there partying on spring break, we give people, um, you know, free rides. Um, you know, really, it's, it's kind of twofold. One, you know, we just want to show people that we love them and, like, practically keep them safe, you know, but also we want opportunities to share the gospel with them. So the, this one time when I was down there, I was out on the strip, and there was this guy from... Um, I'm actually not sure where he was from. It was Argentina, some someplace in, in Central America, I believe. Um, and it was really funny to talk to because, like, as as we were talking, you know, he would he was like a very like touchy physical person. You know, he he'd put a hand on your shoulder. He would like you know grab you by the shoulders. He'd like shake your hand and stuff. So he's like really a character to talk to. But one of the questions that he asked is like, why do you care the the way that I live? Like, why are you trying to get me to become a Christian? And I said. That's a, that's a good question, so I, so I told him. It's like, if, if you were out there in the street, you know, and I point out in the street where frequently drunk people are like running around, and, and a bus just came coming, like, what, what would you hope that somebody would do? You would hope that somebody would hit you as hard as they could to get you out of the way of the bus, right? 
And we believe, as Christians, we believe that that is the reality that people are facing, whether they realize it or not. You know, the, the inevitability that if we're separated from Christ, that means we live in an eternity without him. Like, that is a bus that is charging for people. And we have no idea, you know, how long they're going to have to make that decision to follow Jesus. This is the urgency that we're dealing with. You know, a lot of times it's really easy to live our lives and think like, oh, you know, that, that's not something that's part of my life. You know, but that's, that's the truth. We, we don't know how long people are going to have to make the decision. And so we act with urgency. We act as if, you know, there's a, there's a bus coming. Um, and I think that that's something, I mean, that's really important been really important for me, just fighting again the urge to like keep my head down and just do the stuff that I'm responsible for instead of like lifting up my eyes and, and looking for those opportunities to act with urgency. So we, we walk with wisdom, we act with urgency, and then finally we speak with grace and salt. And so the, this idea of salt is a little bit confusing, but I, I think it, it lends itself to this idea of like purity on one hand and sort of like life on the other hand. Um, you know, in the world before refrigeration, you'd use salt as, a, a, as a, a purifying agent. You'd use it as a preserving agent. It would keep your food good. Um, and we know like food is terrible without, you know, a little, maybe a lot of salt. So, so salt, speaking with salt, how do, how do we do something like that? Well, I think frankly, like again, if we're Christians, if we believe this thing, then we believe we have like a lot of the answers to sort of the life, the universe, and everything. You know, we believe that we know how to have um, harmony with God, harmony with other people, you know, harmony with this creation that we live in. Like that's what, that's what we're saying if we follow Christ. And so we should bring some of that to bear on the conversations that we have with people. You know, um, do we bring vitality to the places that we are? Um, you know, is our workplace, uh, are our families, are the, the places that, that we go when we're not at work, are those places more alive with the life that Christ brings because we're there? You know, that, that's what it means to, to speak with salt, you know, to speak sort of life into a situation. You know, so and this is what Paul is telling, you know, his, his people at Colossae. He's saying, you know, keep your eyes open, pay attention, you know, act with, act with some urgency, and then speak in this way that, that brings life into the situation. Um, and I think before I go on, it's important to mention, like, so we've talked about sharing, but it, it begs the question, like, sharing what? What is it that we are sharing? You know, I, I think um, a lot of times we can throw around the, the terms like, you know, sharing your faith or, you know, sharing the gospel with people, and a lot of times you can be like, all right, well, what does that mean? And so uh, I think it's important just to, to say what the gospel is. It's good news, right? The gospel means good news. And it's good news that even though we should be separated from God because of this sort of like pur purposeful indifference that we have toward him, he came to earth fully God and fully man to live a perfect life, one that we couldn't live. And with that perfect life, he chose to take the punishment that we deserved. You know, this sort of, purposeful indifference that, that we have toward God, you know, where we say, I'm going to do things my way, I'm not going to do things your way. Um, you know, the Bible calls that sin, and it says that, you know, sin has 
consequences. It causes destruction. You know, it causes destruction between people and it causes destruction between our relationship with God. And if that destruction goes unchecked, then we are eternally separated from God. And that's why the gospel is good news because what it means is that even though that's our reality, God has made a way for that to not be our reality anymore. People were made to be in relationship with God. People were made to worship God and to enjoy him. And through the gospel, through this fact that, that Jesus died, took our sin on himself and rose from the dead, took that sin away from us, we actually have the, the gift, the opportunity to be reconnected with God and to live a life totally different than, than the ones that we've lived before. And now we have this opportunity to accept the offer that Jesus has freely given to, to forsake our old ways and, and to take up a, a new way of trusting in him and following him. And that is the gospel. That's the story that has changed so many lives here in this church. Um, and that is the story that we have the opportunity to share you know, with, our, with our wisdom, with urgency, and with um, salt and grace. So that's the preparation, right? So we're talking the, the preparation of the mission. Second, there are people of the mission. Um, and it's kind of interesting because, right, that, that big part of the chapter is like, you know, so-and-so says, hey, and here's this guy, and he's really cool, and, you know, this guy has absolutely been killing it for us, and, you know, here's this guy. and Oh, you know, it, it's, almost like, it's almost like those times, I don't know if other people had this, but, like, you would call your grandma's house when, like, the whole family was over there except for you, you know, like if she lives far away. And so you talk to grandma for a little bit, and then she passes the phone to uncle so-and-so, and he says, hey, and then he passes the phone to, you know, your three-year-old cousin, and they say, hey, and like you pass the phone around for like an hour, right? It kind of has that vibe to it a little bit. But I wanted to draw our attention to like two types of people that I think are here in this big list. You know, one, there are people that Paul was comfortable with, right? There, there are, are people who shared his culture. They were like him, they were Jews. Um, and, and so these are people that he would have been you know, able to talk with really easily. They had the same things in common. They, you know, might have shared some more language in common. Um, these would have been people he was really comfortable with, I think. Um, but the reality is he was doing ministry not with the Jews, but he was doing ministry with non-Jews. He was doing ministry with people who were culturally different from him. You know, the Bible calls them Gentiles or maybe Greeks. So he's going out into the rest of the world and sharing. And that means he's talking with people who are unlike him, people who don't have the same cultural uh, commonalities. You know, he's had to learn how to connect with them. He's had to learn the way that they talk, the things that they value in order to build relationship and share with them. And I think we can draw some wisdom out of that as we share with people and even as we disciple other people. You know, there are going to be a lot of people who are like us, you know, there are going to be a lot of people, so I think about me, there are a lot of people, you know, who talk too much, uh, who are really sarcastic, um, who, you know, like video games, who um, are nerds and didn't play sports. You know, there are a lot of people that are like me, and it's easy for me to talk to people like that. But there are also a lot of people who are not like me. You know, there are people who look different than me. They had a different upbringing than me. You know, maybe they're really good athletes. Um, you know, maybe they, um, they were in the military and so they're really disciplined, unlike me. Um, you know, maybe they had, um, 
a first language that's different than mine, and, and so it takes a, a little bit of effort to try to like understand what they're, what they're saying. There are lots of people out there that are different than me. And what we see Paul do is he's got all different kinds of people in his crew, and he makes no distinction between how, how effective and how encouraging they've been. You know, he, he mentions people who are Jewish, he mentions people who are Greek, and all these people, he's like, man, so-and-so has been a comfort to me. You know, this person is beloved, and they say hey. And it just gives this really good picture of how we should share the gospel, how we should disciple people, and just how we should be as a Christian family. You know, that we should desire to be diverse. And, like, I confess that I'm recovering from, um, you know, trying to only be friends with people who are like me. Because, right, that's easy. But what I found is that as I've befriended people who are different than me, it's like so rich. You know, you get to learn what people are like who have done things that are, are totally different. You know, um, my parents were, were there, but I've learned what it's like to have absent parents. You know, um, I've learned what it's like to be from a totally different country, like what it's like to be from Japan or from Taiwan or, or from India. Um, you know, I've gotten to learn um, what it's like actually, you know, from people who were athletes or who were soldiers and just like discipline is a really big part. It's like, how is it that you just like want to do stuff instead of wanting to be lazy? What's that like, you know? <laughs> and seriously, you learn so much just from getting out there and getting to know different kinds of people. And I think Paul really models that for us. And it's an opportunity that we have to jump in. I think God smiles when we jump out of our comfort zone and try to share the gospel with somebody who we have like very little in common with. So that's the, that's the people of the mission. We have the preparation of the mission, the, the people of the mission. And finally, there's a, there's a price of the mission. And so I think it's, it's, actually kind of weird. So like the, the end of the book ends with Paul saying, you know, remember my chains. And it's like, wow, okay, that's kind of a bummer, honestly. Like, you know, here we are, we're getting ready to share the mission. And he's like, you know, remember my chains. And, and earlier in the passage, he, he talks about, you know, hey, this is, isn't just any gospel. Like this is the gospel for which I'm in prison, you know? Um, and so I think it's a, it's a good reminder to us that, this gospel um, has cost people their lives. This gospel has cost people their reputation. It's cost people their, their jobs. And, you know, often those aren't the kinds of things that, that we have to face here in the United States, right? You know, we don't have to worry about dying for our faith, usually. We don't have to worry about, you know, losing our job over it, usually. But I think we can sort of see that it's like an unpopular thing to be outspoken about your faith um, in, in sort of like the public space. You know, there, there are people who get um, mocked. There are people who get shouted down, you know, when they try to say like, hey, I think that we have the truth. I think that we have, you know, a way that we can have relationship with God. And people, you know, frankly, don't want to hear it. it there, is a, there is a price, just like Jesus said there would be. But I think um, th there's something there's actually a challenge and an encouragement that's sort of built in to that, that whole thing. 
Uh, in Acts chapter 5, I think the verse is, is 41, you know, it, it talks about the disciples. And so shortly after Jesus has ascended, the disciples go, um, they get in trouble for sharing their faith is, is what happens, and they go to uh, the council. And this is the same council that had just sent Jesus to his death. So it's like kind of intense. And eventually what happens is like the council doesn't really know what to do with these guys because they're like doing miracles and they're sharing the gospel and they basically tell them like, hey, we're not gonna stop. So they're like, okay, well, we'll discipline you a little bit and just make sure you don't talk about Jesus anymore and they kind of send them away. So really they kind of get off with like a slap on the wrist. And, and what it, the Bible says about them is that they rejoice because they were counted worthy to, to suffer for the name, right? That they actually celebrated because they, you know, were, were humiliated like their master, Jesus. And it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and I think even just beyond that, just beyond the sort of countercultural idea that our identity or our life as Christians is to become, you know, less so Jesus becomes more, there is that. But I think there's even just a, a built-in encouragement into what Paul says. You know, when he says, remember my chains, I think he does mean like, hey, pray that like I might be released so I can go back to what I was doing before, sharing the gospel openly and freely. But I think there's another thing going on there too, because even as the Colossian church might have been like bummed that he was in prison, I also think that they might have been thinking, man, he is killing it right now. Like he is sharing his faith in such a way that he is in prison. He is being counted worthy of suffering for the name. So even built into that kind of like somber end, there's like a place for celebration. There's, there's a place for them to celebrate that like, man, he is doing it. And I think that's a good note for, for our church as well. Do we celebrate the stories of faithfully sharing Jesus with other people? Do we celebrate those stories where people, you know, somebody shares the gospel and, and another person like comes to know Christ and their life is eternally changed? Do we celebrate those stories or even share those stories when, you know, yeah, I started sharing and like I got egg on my face, like I couldn't get my words out straight and it was like a disaster. You know, do we celebrate those stories? You know, like you have a three hour conversation with somebody and like, the gears are just kind of turning. You know, they, they don't accept Christ, but they're like, they're really chewing on what it is that you're saying. Do we celebrate those stories? All the different kind of stories that we have to tell when we faithfully just step out and share the gospel, you know, how Jesus has changed our lives. And so that's what I wanna leave us with. You know, as we, as we embark on this mission, you know, that, that requires the preparation of, of prayer and sharing, you know, as we, as we do it with all different kinds of people, um, and, and as we you know, face down the, the price, would we be a church and a people that makes those stories by being faithful to share the gospel, and would we be a people that shares and celebrates those stories with one another? So let's pray as the band comes back up here.